Well, hello, my friend. Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech, the podcast you need in your earbuds every week to elevate your leadership career as a woman in tech. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and it is officially spring round here. It is looking glorious outside. The sun is out, the daffodils are out. I, I just love the turning of the seasons. I, I think every time the seasons turn, I'm like, oh my God, it's this, it's this winter, it's spring, it's summer, it's autumn. Um, <laughs> and I do think that like ties in quite well with the optimism that I've nurtured in myself, which I know is fundamental to my success. And I, it's kind of a tangent to today's episode, but I, I realized driving around this morning, I, I went out in the car for a, an hour or so just to do some errands and... I was just so happy. I was like, it's spring. I'm ready for the leaves to be on the trees. The birds are singing. And I'm so optimistic about what's coming up for me. There's there's a lot of things that I got planned for this year that are big and quite scary. But I'm also optimistic at the same time, even though there's a little bit of me that's like, Ooh, that's that's tough. What's coming is tough. And I, I do think that positive optimism, well, there is science behind this. The more optimistic we are, the healthier and happier we are. That isn't to say you can cure yourself from cancer by being positive. Like I am not saying that at all. Definitely not blaming the ill person here, but it is an element of life that if we can make ourselves more optimistic and it is something you can train yourself to do, it does do crazy mad things that are good for you. So just wanted to share that with you before we dig into today's episode. It's actually kind of timely because today I have guest on and she is here to talk about resilience. I've got Stephanie joining us today. She is in Silicon Valley and she moved to Silicon Valley from the Colorado mountains, which is her love and home at heart. But she is now working as a senior director at one of the large tech companies that we're not going to name, one of the FANGs. And she spent the last 13 years building teams, leading organizations and solving problems. And as you'll hear in today's interview, although I brought her on to talk about the resilience and wellness side of getting to being a senior director, we can't help but what it takes to be that great senior leader as well in a fang company. So you're going to hear it all today. Stephanie is also a mom of twins. She's passionate about the outdoors, wellness, mindset, mindfulness, which is one of the reasons I got her on the show. And she's also an executive leadership coach. She is a woman with many, many talents. She's also a regular contributor to Mindfulness Incubator, which you're going to hear a little bit about later on, because I think this is something that we could all do with a bit more of, mindfulness. Um, because of their mission to help overwhelmed professionals connect to their purpose and passion and create more space for mindfulness and connection. So without further ado, let's get Stephanie onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. It's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, let's dive straight on in. Can you tell us a little bit about your current job and your career story to date, how you came to be a senior director at a big global tech company? I uh, started out in Montreal, Quebec, uh, and I was actually a management consultant first. Yes, I am French-Canadian as a background, but I've been in the U.S. for about 15 years 
Um, I did a lot of really interesting work as a management consultant. I did some travel and logistics. I did some performance optimization for sales organizations. And I did a really neat uh, fellowship as part of a social sector office, which was really focused on philanthropy and public health uh, and all kinds of good stuff. And then I actually totally unexpectedly made the move into tech in 2008. Um, There was a gentleman who I had worked with as a consultant who had been my client uh, who actually moved to said large tech company. And he was like, why don't you come have lunch? And I was like, I'm good. Things are going well. (laughs) But I I did go have lunch and I was kind of blown away by what I found. uh, And I decided to make the leap. Uh, in large part because I was excited about all of the opportunity. There was a ton of problems to be solved. There was um, a lot that was unstructured and undiscovered. uh, And I kind of moved over without really being clear on what my job was going to be, only that I was going to do stuff and solve problems and work on interesting projects. And um, that's kind of been a theme of my career. Uh, I've been at that company now for almost 14 years and um, I've had probably eight or nine different jobs uh, and different parts of the organization. And the theme has been, there's a really complicated, gnarly problem that we need to figure out how to solve, or there's something that we need to fix, or there's something that we need to build. And hey, Stephanie, what do you think about taking on that opportunity? (laughs) And my um, philosophy has been, if it's an interesting problem to solve, and I think I can add value and learn something, I am all in. Um, It hasn't all been kind of vertical. There's been a a couple of different lateral moves across to explore some different areas, um, but there's been no shortage of new and interesting opportunities. So I'm now... uh, overseeing uh, client management and portfolio management. Uh, It's been an interesting journey and the challenges ahead are even more uh, spicy, as I like to call them, than the ones that are behind. Uh, There's always a lot that I'm not sure how we're going to figure out how to do at any given moment in time. So I, I get jazzed by the challenge. I I love that you say that because one of the things I see consistently in high performers is uh, uh, your phrase, jazzed by the challenge, it kind of epitomizes it, but excited to take on things that you don't actually know how to solve. And rather than being intimidated by that, scared of that, don't be wrong, the nerves can be there, right? But you decide to grab onto it and be like, you know what, I'm a problem solver. I do think that high performance really is epitomized by being somebody who can understand and solve problems that other people can't. Not necessarily because those people aren't capable of solving the problems, but because we're able to approach it in new, different ways, which actually is going to tie in beautifully to the rest of our topic about resilience, of course. Um, but just going all in and being like, you know what? Yes, we don't have a solution, but if I can solve this, then great things are going to happen. Do you see that yourself with colleagues? Do you see the high performers being the the problem solvers, the ones not scared to dive on in? I think that there's both. So uh, both in the sense of I consider myself to be a generalist. Uh, In general, at the leadership table that I sit at, I am the least experienced and I have the least expertise out of anybody who is around the table. There's folks who bring decades of uh, very deep operational insights or expertise. But one of the things that I learned in management consultant that I think has served me throughout uh, management consulting, but I think has served me throughout my, my career is this sort of the commonalities between different problems that on the surface Mm -hmm. don't look anything alike. And there are 
times where having really deep expertise and knowing exactly how to do something is really essential. And there are times where that's actually a hindrance because it keeps you from taking a fresh perspective at innovative ways that you might solve a problem. And it keeps you stuck, I think, in the inertia of some of the ways that things work, which is another, I think, really kind of relevant theme for for resilience and well-being as well. And so not having that history and just being willing to accept the problem for what it is and look at it a little bit differently Mm. can absolutely be a superpower but that doesn't mean that the deep experience doesn't absolutely have a place um, and that some of the most competent high performers I know are very deep experts in their space. And that's necessary as well. I, I would definitely agree. I think both are necessary. I think there is, even with the deep experts, so there is this need to solve problems. I, I do think you mm-hmm. hit the nail on the head and that part of what you bring is a fresh approach. I, I'm not going to get bogged down in the weeds of the 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of experience I've got in this area. I think some of the time we're all guilty of this. We can only see the ways that we've tried to solve this before. Sometimes we need a fresh set of eyes coming and saying like, why why are you doing that? Why don't we try this way? And being pulled up a little bit for like thinking in a, in a, a different way. So I think I think we need both. Mm-hmm. But I do think all of us solve problems. Which, which, is that true or not? You um, can- yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, there's there's two questions that you might hear me talk about often throughout our conversation. One is, but why? And mm. the other one is, well, but what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Which is actually something I borrowed from a colleague of mine many years ago and have held on to since. So it is not necessarily helpful to simply accept that things are the way that they are. I love understanding the system that contributes to a certain way of functioning. I could, we could spend the whole half hour talking about this particular topic. (laughs) I love the quote, um, a system is perfectly designed to produce the outcomes it produces. Mm. And whenever you are mad at an outcome or you don't like the outcome, you could say, I don't like that outcome. I want to change it. Or you can understand the system that contributes to producing those circumstances. And I think that's really, really relevant and true at work. It is also true at home and with Mm. your own well-being and resilience. So the but why kind of starts to scratch at that of what are the factors that are leading to that? How was this system designed? What was it designed to do? And therefore, what is contributing to us getting these outcomes rather than simply accepting that it is how it is. And then the what is the problem that we're trying to solve? If I had a dollar for every or pound for every meeting (laughs) that I was in where people showed up not knowing what they were trying to get out of it and that there was general floundering as I would have many dollars. And I, it is my uh, objective, certainly in the work that I do to minimize the amount of dollars that I and the people in the meetings that I'm in, in with have. But uh, it is really easy to go from day to day, meeting to meeting, conversation to conversation without actually having clarity on what it is that you're there to do and why. So I think those two things together, but why and what is the problem that we're trying to solve can be really powerful in clarifying the system in which you're operating and what might need to shift in order to get to a better or a different place. 
and what your opportunity is in putting in an intervention that would shift that. I love that. I, I, I think those two questions just epitomize how we need to approach life in general. You mentioned there, it doesn't just apply to work, it's also at home. And, and it's so true. I love that. Why and what problem are we trying to solve? I actually just this morning was recording a training from my academy members that I didn't say like, what problem are we trying to solve? But like, what is your desired outcome? And you should ask mm -hmm. that for every single meeting. You shouldn't go into a meeting without knowing what you're trying to get out of that meeting. Even if it's something you do every day, every week, you still have an outcome. If you don't, why on earth are you there? What are you spending your time doing? I just love your approach to this wholeheartedly. But we could spend, as you said, all day talking about thing. this. So yeah. let's focus on why we're really here because I want to talk about resilience because I, I know that's something you're personally passionate about. Um, I love the way you talk about it. So let's let's explain for the audience why you're really here. So how has wellness, self-care and resilience aided in your career? So wellness and health and well-being and mindfulness, um, it's always been a, an area of interest and passion. As long as I can remember my entire career, I've dreamt of... Uh, being involved in this space, whether it's teaching or building programs or creating retreats or whatever it might be. Uh, but there was a couple of, of experiences that, that really were pivot points for me. Um, in right around the time I joined uh, the, my tech company, um, I, my dad had cancer, uh, base of the tongue cancer, super weird, um, unusual, unexpected. And one of the ways in which I cope with difficulty with stress, with challenge is I try to learn and I try to make meaning out of it. And I know that's not how everyone who's going through hardship deals with difficult circumstances, but that's kind of one of my, it's one of my moves. I research, I try to learn and I, I try to, to grow and to give back in some way. So with my dad's illness, I actually uh, threw myself into research on uh, specifically health and nutrition. And I got a health counseling certification. So this was in 2009. And then many years later, uh, I was experiencing a moment of frustration in my career where it felt everything was kind of stuck. Things were jammed, they weren't moving, and I couldn't understand why we weren't making progress. And so then again, I went to how can I learn? How can I grow? So I actually did an executive coaching certification at that stage to try to um, learn more about myself and do some more self-work and understand how I interacted and affected systems. Um, and actually, just about a year ago, my mom was diagnosed with ALS, which is a horrific disease. Uh, and it was a very difficult time for me and my family personally. And I... Uh, looked into mindfulness and resilience and positive psychology as kind of tools to both help me cope with what was going on and also uh, be able to support her in her end of life care in a way that was really present, which is quite hard to do. Um, so it's been a lifelong passion, but there's, there's kind of been these pivotal moments um, and I have to say that I am um, alarmed at how busy we are as a culture, that it is an expectation, that it is a status symbol. And I remember uh, years ago, a, a leader that I worked with was giving a talk in front of the organization. And he said, you know what the reward for 
winning a cake eating contest is. It's more cake. More cake. <laughs> the, the reward yeah. for doing good work and being good at what you do is often more work. More work, more scope, more responsibility. Can you help me with this? Can you... Uh, jump in on this and like, somehow being busy and having an absolutely slammed calendar and being in every meeting has become like a status of importance. Um, and I, I built my career on solving problems. And like we talked about, that means you have to know what the problem is. And in order to know what the problem is, it means you need to have the self-awareness, the, uh, the mental space to pause and to recognize that you're on a path that might be unconscious or that might be reactive and say, okay, wait, why are we here? Why am I here? What matters to me in this moment? So I've, I've tangent, short tangent. So when I came back from having, I have twins, they're um, in elementary school. And when I came back from maternity leave, they actually asked me, like, do you want to kind of chill for a minute? Or would you like to have uh, this bigger role? Would you be interested in taking on like a step change, mm. level up situation? And my philosophy at the time was, it actually has been years since I've been able to clear my to-do list. It's, I have never been in for, at that stage, probably six, seven, eight years in a state where I have enough time to do everything. And so I have already been in a state where I have to choose what fits inside the container of what I can give to my job. And so if I can do this much, and I'm holding my hands to show a plate, <laughs> if I could do this much, the things on this plate can either be important things that are really, really impactful or less important things. And for me, it's more worth it to be away from my family if the things matter more. So the notion of really being mindful of what are your priorities and what drives you and being in a state of acute prioritization. So I've, I've sort of tangented a little bit, but I think that, you know, the, the overarching theme for me is I've, I've both have a, a personal passion and interest in health and wellness and well-being and mindfulness but also have seen how it has helped guide me in um, responding to different transitions in my career and being resilient to environments that are really stressful and personal circumstances that are really stressful. But I think most importantly, remaining present in the moments and in the choices that are available and making an informed decision about how I wanted to show up, whether it's for my mom as a caregiver, my kids as a parent, my spouse, or my team or my colleagues, and making an intentional choice, which I think you can only do when you're uh, looking after yourself and investing in your well-being and in your resilience. If you're in crisis, if you're in fight or flight, if you are in a very reactive mode, which I think society t tends to wire yeah. Right. That's the default mode. It's really hard to do. And so it's taken practice to be able to do that some of the time, not all of it. No, I don't think anybody gets it right all of the time. 
you hit the nail on the head there about that moving into reactive, uh, moving away from yeah. reactive and into proactive. That's where great things happen. It's also where we feel more aligned. We achieve more. The busy gives us that immediate dopamine hit, but it's a bit like scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. It's mm-hmm. it's short-lived. It isn't long-term. It isn't success. It doesn't feel like that grounding success. To do that stuff requires us to be less busy so that we can be proactive. I also think one of the things I, I've certainly seen if, with people who are resilient and they focus on the mindfulness is they have space in their lives. I've actually recently started saying rather than I'm having a lazy day, I'm having a luxuriating day because it's, yes. <laughs> I think it's a much I better word. It. Because there is this, you know, we get rewards for being busy and being lazy is bad. And I fundamentally, I think I'm a lazy human. I will always look for a shortcut. It's served me well because I can always look for a better way to do things. But it means I love my luxuriating days. And you know what? I think that is part of my source for success. And I see this in others because to solve those big problems, to figure out what the high priority is, to focus and channel your energy on, to be proactive you need brain space. It doesn't just Mm -hmm. miraculously happen that you can have a busy, busy day and then spend five minutes on a Friday afternoon solving a big problem. No, No, it doesn't. It just doesn't, right? Uh, So I love love everything you just said there. And again, we could talk about that one all day, but let's move on to like, how can we build this resilience and wellness? What do we need to be doing in order for this to elevate us in our careers? I... By the way, just one thought on what you were just talking about. (laughs) One of my other favorite quotes is, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And I think that that's kind of speaking to your point around knowing what you're trying to do and giving yourself Mm. the space to head in that direction. Because you could make one step towards your goal, or you could make 10 steps in 10 different directions. And our Mm. society is wired to view the 10 steps as more productive. Even if it may not be getting you any closer to the vision you have for your life or the person that you want to be. Mm -hmm. And so it's, that's why it's so important for you to know for yourself what you're trying to do, because otherwise you're subject to the external perspectives on what it means to be effective and productive, even if it has nothing to do with what's important to you at all. So on your, on your question of, you know, how do we actually go ahead and build the resilience and wellness? I have a lot of thoughts on this, <laughs> but my top, my top couple of, of views. So one, as we were just talking about, I think it is really important for us individually to do the work on our goals and what matters to us across all domains of our life, right? Our family life, our friendship life, our personal development life. And, and only when you know what matters to you, does it become clear where you should be saying yes? Because we talk a lot, especially when we're having conversations about boundaries and work-life balance, like how do you say no? And what do you say no to? And how do you create the container? But I actually don't think we spend enough time talking about what should you say yes to? Mm. And um, I, for example, specific example, one of the things that is really high on my list is having dinner with my kids. So I read an article many years ago that the that the outcomes for children whose parents had dinner with them on a regular basis in terms of um, academic achievement, but particularly emotional re- resilience and like the ability to 
withstand peer pressure and all this kind of stuff are much better. So I was like, all right, I'm going to have dinner with my kids. So that became a thing that is like, that's, that's at the top of my yes list. And so that makes it clear that if there's something that is in conflict between what is on my yes list and, um, and what I'm being asked to do, it makes it much easier to know what the tiebreaker or how to make that decision. So, so knowing what the, what your priorities are and what matters to you, I think is really essential. It's like your inner compass. Um, I think the second one is I am a giant fan of the morning routine. And by that, I do not mean get up at five, work out for two hours. Although that does work for some people. That is not what I do. I think the, the point there is that every day when you wake up, you have an opportunity to choose to be intentional with where you put mm-hmm. your focus and how you spend your time. And what you do in the first half hour, hour, depending on your personal circumstances, can really set that up for success. And if you start off reactive and frazzled, it gets really hard to get out of that over the course of the day. But if you start by giving yourself a little bit of spaciousness, I meditate. It has been life-altering for me. Um, There are many other practices that I think can help here from uh, goal setting, again, intention setting, kind of looking at your agenda for the day, journaling, dancing to music, like whatever works for you. There you go. But um, it's whatever uh, helps you cultivate this spaciousness in your mind that helps you then attack your day in a place of intent versus a place of reaction. So mm-hmm. morning routine to help support and cultivate that. And I think the third is we need to treat our time like it matters. And I mm-hmm. think there's so many times where we don't. I was reading a TED article which is actually referenced um, in a blog post on time sucks things that destroy our time. And there was the obvious Mm -hmm. ones like digital distractions, fragment your attention, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But another one was not valuing your time. And they gave an example of if you go to a gas station that is 10 minutes further to save five cents a gallon, very American five cents a gallon. Um, (laughs) And over the course of a year, you might save $128, but you'll have spent seven hours. And please don't check that math because it's true. (laughs) Um, I I didn't intend to use that example. So uh, I did not do the math. Um, But the the point of, okay, so that's $11 an hour. Like, was that worthwhile? Mm -hmm. Was that worth it? Was your time worth that or not? And there's a lot of other examples of ways in which we say, sure, I'll go to that meeting, even though I have no clear purpose in being there mm-hmm. and no clear role or yeah. Okay. No problem. I'll respond to that email or yeah, sure. I'll take on whatever it might be. And this is again about being intentional, recognize that your time is worth something and that you could kind of give it away unintentionally, or you could choose to invest it in things that are renewable or that have a positive ROI or however you want to put it, right? Things that help you have more energy, like quality sleep and moving your body 
and doing things that feed your spirit, like creating or uh, playing or having fun or connecting with people. Those are things that are not taking your time. They're investments because they pay off later. But so often we don't do those things because we've given away our time in a million different places where it shouldn't have gone because we didn't value it when somebody asked for it. Yeah. I, I, you, that valuing our time is so key. I mean, I even look at it from the point of view of, can I outsource that personally, professionally? And if I can, like, how much does that save me? I remember the first time my husband was trying to convince me that we should have somebody coming in or cleaning our house. This is like a long time ago now. And I was so resistant. I, I It is life-changing. Um, I was so incredibly resistant. And he was like, wait, hold on. How much do you get paid per hour? It's the first time I ever calculated how much I got paid per hour. And it wasn't, you know, the, the argument then is, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do this while I'm working. But it is recognizing how valuable you are per hour and thinking, well, hold on, if I can rest instead of doing that cleaning, and I wasn't doing a very good job of cleaning anyway, I'm terrible at it. Um, if I can rest instead, you you can get more yeah. done. And now that I run my own business, holy heck, am I so much more intentional mm-hmm. with my time. If I can outsource something that is not in my zone of genius, I do. I, I often right. say to my clients as well, if it doesn't require your face, your brain, or your voice, you should not be doing it. If you mm-hmm. are a high-achieving leader, you need to figure out how to outsource anything that doesn't require your face, your brain, or your voice. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have to get on stage even though we aren't necessarily the best one. Like, you know, it doesn't require our brain. Somebody else could say it. But sometimes because of our position, we have to be the face. Sometimes we have to be the voice. Our brain is our most important asset. That's the bit that we're often paid for, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, ask yourself that question. Like, why are you saying yes to it if somebody else could do it instead? Particularly if it's in their zone of genius. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, how does this tie in with zone of genius potentially? Yeah, I uh, I am a enormous fan of outsourcing anything that you can, don't enjoy, uh, that somebody else can do better if you have the means to do so. What I will say is that there's a bit of a trap there where sometimes that can make us feel like every minute of our time should be productive and efficient and spent <laughs> on the things yes. only we could do. And so there's the, the it's a yes and yes, I agree with everything you've said. <laughs> and that's been my personal experience as well. Meal kits, sign me up. Grocery delivery. Yes. Somebody coming in to help us clean. Absolutely professional organizer, change my life, whatever, you know, whatever you can do that can help. Great. Um, but, but that also has to be to give you that open space that we were talking about, right? It's not, well, I'm going to pay somebody to clean so that I can work more necessarily, Mm. right there. You also have to give yourself permission for recovery, for renewal, for spaciousness, for fun, for joy. And um, I think sometimes even when we can get over the hurdle of, yeah, it makes sense for me to have help with that, we can fall into the trap of, well, then all my time should be efficient. And I I, I do not think that that is, um, I don't think that that's true. And I think that's actually a, a, a harmful construct, right? Going back to the busyness, that if you're if you're having downtime, then you're you're not being productive. That you're not living up to your potential. There's been some really interesting research on shorter work weeks, 
Oh, yeah. I, don't know if you've seen I am any of this. an advocate of the four day oh, work yeah. week. I want to get my business to that, although I still have what I call my dick around Fridays. Although that's quite a masculine <laughs> term that I need to change. But like, I give myself permission to not be super productive on a Friday. Yeah. And I want to move my team to four day work week. That's and in great. addition, as I've already said, we need to luxuriate more. <laughs> Bask in the luxury of doing nothing or doing fun. Yes. Yes, 100%. What's interesting is that the that the outcomes show that people who work less actually produce more, oh higher quality me. work, yes. more output. And so why are we wasting those hours <laughs> banging our head against the wall if it's not leading to an outcome? And the, the point in raising that, other than to make a plug for a shorter work week, I think is something that would be helpful as a society, is more is not more. More is not better. You need the other kinds of, uh, you need leisure and quality time and connection in order to be able to do your best when you're showing up in the places where you are needed. Mm. Oh my goodness me. We could talk about that one all day. I am so incredibly passionate. I just, I remember when I first started reading about productivity early on, like just as I'd quit my C-suite job, moved into starting my own business. And I, I was like swatting up on productivity because it's a topic I'd always been fascinated by and I got to the point where I was able to do in 30% of the time what I'd previously taken a whole full day full working week to do 30% of the time and the the key thing I think as well is that time allows you to do the unconscious processing where the sparks happen where the magic happens if you are busy 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 you do not create those amazing innovations because your brain is always busy with other things with the minutiae instead of just being happy and delighted and enjoying life, which is when your brain comes up with those amazing thoughts. If you've ever like been sat there on a Sunday afternoon and just had this like spark, and you think, oh my goodness me, I need to write this down. It's because your brain is unconsciously processing. That doesn't happen if you're always go, 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 right? No, absolutely not. And if you're in a reaction all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on because uh, we, we, we are able to talk about all of these topics in great detail. <laughs> I want you to tell us a little bit more about your mindfulness incubator, because yeah. like me, you're passionate about helping your fellow women in tech, uh, potentially your fellow women in corporate. Um, I And you have this mindfulness incubator. You're not just a female leader. You are more than that. So tell us a little bit about this and how it's how you hope it's going to help everybody flourish. Great. Um, so mindfulness incubator is it's it's a it's passion, right? It is a gift that I want to give. Uh, to women, it's a way to give back and hopefully um, to help build community and help anyone who's feeling overwhelmed and uh, in reaction to these unrelenting obligations. So the overarching purpose is to help women live with more intention, whatever that might be. How do you do less of the stuff that drains you and more of the stuff that feeds you? I believe, unfortunately, based on my own experience and um, so many of the amazing women that I work with every day, that we are often sliding into this mode of being reactive. We're not in the driver's seat of our lives. How we spend our days is preordained by the stack of obligations that we have signed up for. And Mm. uh, I think that that leaves a lot of joy on the table. It leaves a lot of purpose and meaning on the table. Um, And what would happen if all of us were to live with a little bit more intention and a little bit more space and clarity? And so I I think that would be 
revolutionary. And so that's the uh, opportunity and objective. How can we all take those steps towards more spaciousness, more mindfulness, and more intention and purpose? Um, so Mindfulness Incubator has a, a weekly blog, and that is all uh, content that is really focused on these topics, right? Everything from how do you experiment with joy to how do you withstand and endure when you're in a period where just there are no good options and everything just sucks uh, and tips and tricks on morning routines and work-life balance that are just the lessons and wisdom learned uh, from so many amazing women who are day in, day out, trying to figure out how to make it work and how to show up as the best version of themselves in their work, in their life with their loved ones. And then uh, we have an upcoming retreat, which is so exciting and um, honestly a dream come true to be able to bring this to life. Uh, it is something that I've been working towards for a very long time. Um, and it will be this coming June is the first one. And we are setting this in this the most incredible glamping resort in the New Mexico um, wilderness. And we are going to have the entirety of the property for our uh, retreat. It's super small. So we've got 10 luxury glamping tents. Uh, and the it's really designed for people like us, right? Who are incredibly mm. busy, who are giving of themselves every day in every domain of their life and need a reset, need a minute to come back to themselves, to replenish their stores, to get reacquainted with uh, who they are and uh, what matters to them and to connect with other women who are experiencing similar uh, things in their life. And so we've got uh, an amazing partnership with a uh, with a with Dig Serve, which is a off grid dining experience curator. We're gonna have hikes and yoga and meditation and live music. I mean, it's this this experience has been designed to be everything that I have ever needed when I've been in a moment of needing a reset. Uh, and really, really, really excited about it. I can tell. And I just, it sounds incredible. It really does. And I think if, if people are listening and thinking, hey, I, I could do with a reset, I would, I would definitely encourage you to go check out this website. Um, we'll make sure that we get the links in a moment right at the end. But I do have one other question I really want to ask you before we wrap yes. up today, which as everybody knows, we always wrap up with a leadership mindset moment. I would love for you, Stephanie, to share one highly actionable mindset shift that listeners can make to help them build their resilience. Not everybody can come to your amazing retreat so I would I would love for you to share like what can we all be doing even if it's just a small thing every day mm. well let's go back to our two questions I think that the <laughs> cultivating the habit of asking the question but why and mm. what is the problem that I am trying to solve and the habit of asking those questions by default means that you need to move out of pure reactivity to being intentional about how you want to show up and why. And that pivot from responding, reacting, going from one thing to the next, being absorbed by busyness to 
recognizing that you have choice in how you show up and where you allocate your precious gifts and your precious time is revolutionary. It can change everything. It 100% can. Okay. This has been amazing. Um, How can people connect with you, find out more about what you do, find out more about Mindfulness Incubator and your retreat? So the website is www.mindfulnessincubator.com. We are also on all the things, LinkedIn uh, under Mindfulness Incubator, Instagram under Mindfulness Incubator, Facebook under Mindfulness Incubator. uh, And I welcome any and all of you who have felt uh, touched or intrigued by some of what we've talked about today to join and to contribute and to be part of uh, this movement, because we are all needed to make the world what it could be. That is sounds amazing. All those links are in the show notes. So make sure you go check those out. Stephanie, this has been phenomenal. So just to wrap up any final thoughts that you know that this audience needs to hear. The world is designed to distract and overwhelm you, but you have absolute choice in how you show up. And it is in thousands of small decisions every day. And they're absolutely within your control. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Stephanie. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Do not forget to check out mindfulnessincubator.com. All the links that you need are in the show notes. I have so enjoyed having Stephanie on the show. I think she might be a comeback guest at some point in the future. But remember, until next time, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.